Welcome to the Real Estate Syndication Show. Whether you are a seasoned investor or building a new real estate business, this is the show for you. Whitney Sewell talks to top experts in the business. Our goal is to help you master real estate syndication. And now your host, Whitney Sewell. This is your daily real estate syndication show. I'm your host, Whitney Sewell. Today, you are going to hear experts talk about their development business. Development's very different than your typical value-add business plan of multifamily or self-storage or some other asset class. I hope you learn a lot from these experts today. Our guest is Ed Arasi. Thanks for being on the show, Ed. Thanks, Whitney. Thank you for having me. You know, I'd love for us to talk about that 160-unit project that you and I discussed a little bit. And I don't know many people that are developing deals in Vegas, so this is a great opportunity. Could you give us some details about that project maybe early on and what the plan is? And we'll dig in a little bit. Okay. So I had a group of developers from California looking for an opportunity here in Vegas. So right now in Vegas, the up and coming area is the Southwest part of Vegas. We found a track behind a development that sells for about $600,000 a unit. We found a five acre track that was entitled to build 160 condos on it. So we're building actually 160 condos. 109 are going to be two bedrooms, 41 one bedrooms, and then 10 two-story, all glass, enclosed three-bedroom units overlooking the Strip. They have a direct view of the Strip, the new Raider Stadium. We're taking this development from the dirt all the way up. So it's been a little challenging because it's a new venture for me as far as the development world. I know the multifamily world, but I definitely am learning as we go on this part of it. Yeah. So... What are some of those challenges that you faced going from multifamily to developing a project like this? Well, the challenges are that you have to surround yourself with a good team. I think in anything that you do in real estate, whether it's investing, whether it's learning, it's surround yourself with a good team. So some of the jargon and some of the conversations we have with the developer himself, with the architect, with the contractor, you're finding out like, for instance, one thing I didn't even know existed was wraparound insurance. Wraparound insurance is what the contractors require on a development that's condos, not apartments, because it covers them for all the units for an insurance policy for 10 years. Wow. So wraparound insurance. I hadn't heard of that before. Anything else about wraparound insurance that we need to know? And tell me again why that's important. Well, wraparound insurance, it's when a contractor is building apartments, it's one owner that owns all of the apartments. So if there's a claim, you deal with one owner. When you build 160 condos and they're all individually sold, now you're dealing with 160 owners. So the wraparound insurance is an insurance policy that covers any construction defect for the first 10 years of the project. So it's important if they were building an apartment complex, you'll never hear about that and they'll never ask for that. It's only on the condos because the liability is much higher because now you're 60 potential owners. Wow. That's a great piece of information there that I wouldn't have known otherwise, you know, to ask you about. So I appreciate that. And any other challenges that we can elaborate on that you've experienced going from multifamily to development? The biggest in getting the right, like I said, the right team in place, because there's things that come up that we take for granted as investors and as people that look at real estate is, well, now you're putting in a project of 160 units. Is there enough electricity? Is there enough water coming in? Is there enough sewer? You know, and if not, how much is it going to cost to change that infrastructure now so that you can actually build those units there? And the same thing goes with multifamily. You know, sometimes you start remodeling multifamily units and you have enough power if you're adding units, if you're doing certain things. So 
those things that we take for granted that you have to dive deep into and try to get the answer to before you start. Okay. So having the right team, it, it doesn't matter what kind of business it is. It's so important, right? Our team is just crucial. I mean, I couldn't do any of this without them. So as far as the local governments or permits, anything like that that you've learned or anything that would be different maybe in Vegas that we should know about? Yes. The permitting process in Vegas is you'll get your plans ready for construction. You submit them. Then it goes to like an advisory board. They now look at it and then they start going to the individual departments. So the key is to have the architect that has connections within the city to speed up the process. Like right now in Vegas, permits are about six months out. So it's quite an undertaking to get it to permits. And if they return it, you're looking at another six months because they don't start where you left off. You start all over again. So having the right architect, contractors that know the city, that know kind of what they're looking for, they can anticipate any changes, any issues that are coming up. Simple rules like now they change the rules in the city of Las Vegas where now they want sprinkler systems in the units. So we have to make sure that those are already built into the plans. If not, that's going to start all over again. Hmm. Wow. So it takes six months. And then if you don't get it correct, then another six months. I mean, that's my goodness. You better have somebody on your team that's done this before. Exactly. So the architect we use has been in Vegas doing this type of construction for 30 years. The builder we're using has recently just completed a 200 unit building. You know, some of the challenges with the building that we're doing is there's going to be some underground parking because it's so hot in Vegas. So we're doing some underground parking because of the size limitation. So the structure and how, and there's caliche underground. So how much caliche, how deep do you have to go? What is that underground? Caliche. So it's the type of rock that's very dense, very hard to go through. So it has different grades. So depending on the grade, it's either easy to get out or very difficult to get out. So those are some of the challenges also is having the right team that knows, okay, this is what we have underground. This is what we can anticipate. This is how far I think we can go down without running into any issues. Those are all the issues that come up when you're doing the development. Okay. Yeah. So even the rock, I mean, even things like that, if you're not experienced in this, there's no way that you're going to know that. And even experienced in that specific area of the country or Vegas, I'm not sure how far, you know, where all this rock is, but if you didn't know that, yeah, I mean, that could really lead into some big problems or setbacks. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And since Vegas is actually in a valley, there's rock everywhere around us. So the contractor that we're using and the architect, they know where the pockets of the tougher caliche is. And they can almost tell you by the street, like, oh, from this street, stay over to the west of that because that's where it is. Or on the east of that is going to be okay. So those are some of the challenges that we come up with all the time. So how long will it take to complete this project? It's a 24-month project, start to finish. We're currently in the process with the acquiring the land and going through our due diligence on the land. You know, due diligence is most important in every real estate transaction is making sure you get what they say you're going to get. So during that due diligence of the land, that is so important, right? So that's where you're going to be looking at that zoning and the permits and the rock and all those things you're discussing, right? So that way, when we do move forward with this, we're, I mean, we're ready to go. Right. So part of our due diligence, we're looking at the land itself, what's on there. We're doing this phase one environmental, phase two environmental, making sure we have the environmental studies that we need. We're looking at traffic study because that's going to impact how many entrances and what if you have to have any turnoffs for the particular subdivision or the condo units. We're looking at the power grid. We're looking at water. We're actually checking with the neighbors because it is near and residential to make sure they're going to not try to block this project. So there's quite a bit that goes on during the due diligence period. 
Our guest is Scott Choppin. Thanks for being on the show, Scott. Hey, Whitney. Great to be here. Appreciate the invite. In your bio, we said you're a real estate developer of highly undersupplied multi-generational urban housing. What does that mean exactly? So we have always, as a company, so I formed Urban Pacific Group in 2000. So we're going on our 19th year of operations as a pure play real estate development company. Uh, we've done different asset types. So new construction, condo, market rate apartments. And also we've done numerous affordable housing projects throughout our you know, life cycle of our company. But we've always focused on urban infill is the term that we use. And what that means is that we're working within existing metro urban areas. Think of mostly developed, not necessarily downtown, but we have done projects in downtown central business district, but we're not suburban either or even rural. So we're in the existing fabric of the city and looking for assets, you know, land opportunities that we can develop to infill an already existing neighborhood. And we've always been encouraged by that product type because it's close to transit, it's close to job centers. And for our tenant profile and our workforce housing communities, it's also where their social networks are. So kids go to school, their families are close by, their churches are close by. And so we've always been encouraged to find a demographic that is seeking to be in that location. And in 2000, when we started the company, it was, you know, Gen Xers who wanted to live in cool downtown locations in an urban lot. That was sort of the, the start of it. And then it's evolved from there to millennials now are attracted to that product space. But also now what we focused on is existing family groups that are already here in the urban locations and serving them with a new type of housing that facilitates their lifestyle. So we call it workforce housing, modern income housing, sometimes that's how we describe it. But it's very undersupplied. We're in California, which has out of the top 25 most expensive marketplaces in the United States, at least one staff that I saw, uh, 18 of the top 25 were in California, and all the top 10 were in California. So rents and housing prices versus incomes in California are diverging. And that is a story across many urban metros, but here it's the most distinct undersupply situation that we observe in the United States. And that's a market that we want to be in. Now it has a social impact story to it as well, which we're, I've always had that as part of my career, but it's good to be able to do good by doing well. And we see this space as exactly that. All right, Scott. So what markets are you in exactly? So when we started the program, what we call UTH, which stands for Urban Townhouse, that's our specific branding of the workforce housing model. We started in Southern California and the bulk of the active projects we have are here. And so what that means is think of Central LA County, Southern LA County, and Northern Central Orange County. So the LA Orange County Metro Marketplace But we do have designs to move this UTH workforce housing model into other urban markets. So in California, the expansion into San Diego, Bay Area, and then we've underwritten projects in locations like Portland, Seattle, and Denver. And this is actually a product that's both in demand in those locations, again, the urban portability story, but also the right mix of land pricing, 
existing zone sites available and build costs, which, you know, is the formula that we have to keep track of or the major variables to keep track of to make sure we have viable projects. So our long run picture for this is to expand into all those Western urban metro markets. So how do you make a deal work in Orange County for you all? What are you looking for and yeah. what kind of numbers are you looking for to make something like that work there? I think you mentioned it yourself, the types of the prices and the low cap rates in a market that you're in. How do you make that work? Well, this is the beauty of the difference between buying existing value-add assets and building new construction. And so I won't go into detail about what value is. I think your audience is probably you know, well aware. But for us as a developer, we can go into highly constrained markets and find land assets that we can then develop our own products. So we're basically creating new assets out of whole cloth. Now, you know, we've got a whole lot of technical issues to deal with that are different than a value-add type of environment. But like any real estate developer, we're always searching for new land assets, but we have specific criteria. So one of our criteria is we only buy sites that are zoned. So we don't want to go through governmental entitlements in any discretionary way where city council or planning commissioners can say no. Our UTH product, because it serves working families, really only goes in certain locations. And I don't mean to be saying that it's exclusive one way or the other. It's more a function of our tenant base. Working families already exist in these blue-collar neighborhoods, the way we describe them. So middle-income neighborhoods in any city. So whether it's Orange County or L.A. County, we're looking for those neighborhoods where our tenant base already lives. And we're now just providing them a new housing type that they don't otherwise have available. So that's sort of the two big criteria location that serves the tenant base and is appropriate for the tenant base, correctly priced land and already done. Those would be three majors. Why the new development model versus value add? Good question. So one, fundamentally, we've always been a developer. And although have a lot of crossover and overlap with value add investors, and we invest in our own projects, we are not purely an investor per se. And so we are a developer, which means that we just look at it from the standpoint of our job is to create new projects and new assets. And we certainly own apartments that we've developed ourselves, but we've never been a pure play value add player. Now, having said all that, we like the differentiator between value add and development and this part of the market cycle. So the way I look at it is, you know, you've heard the term buy below replacement costs. Like that's, I think, a very common theme that everybody who's in the value add space would love to have deals that always fit that criteria, except that in this part of the market cycle, which would be when the market cycle is climbing, meaning going up and positive growing and or towards the peak, then value add existing assets start to become very expensive, which I think everybody in any major urban metro is has as an issue. You know, returns are being eroded because they have to pay high prices. Well, that's the opposite model, which I call the above replacement cost value or above replacement cost model, which is the development model. So I'll give you an example. So in a downturn at the trough, if you could buy a project that was eighty thousand a door and it costs 100000 to replace, right, below replacement cost, then you would say generally that's good value, right? And I'm using very simple examples here, but you'll see the point. In a rising or upward trending market, those values for those assets will start to rise, and then eventually they'll flip over, and so the value is now above replacement cost, right? So our model is build it for 100 k a door, 
and its value when we sell it is 120k, right? So we're the opposite of you know below replacement cost, and that will always be true. So when a recession comes, which we're preparing for, anticipating, and not in bad news, that it is vigilant, preparing, raising capital differently, we'll know that the development model will basically be less preferred when placement costs can be, your projects can be bought below replacement costs. So the market cycle does influence what deals work best. And so we just look at it from the standpoint of we know when that happens. Now on a long run basis, we know that a recession will come. And what we're anticipating, and one of the reasons we like this workforce housing model is because our tenant base is very sticky is the way we describe it. And the social networks I described before are very strong. What that means in a recessionary environment, people will stick around. In other words, their families are local, their kids are in school, their church is close by, and so they're not necessarily going to pick up and move to Austin tomorrow. And my internal joke is when you build millennial housing, and this is nothing wrong with the choice that they make, it's just they don't have that stickiness. There's nothing tying them to that market, and so they can leave. They got a job in Austin, and they can go and they'll leave your apartment if you happen to be running to that specific profile. So we see workforce housing as a defensive model, meaning we have a stable, sticky tenant base. We know in a recession that values will decline, but if income stays stable, rent stays stable, and NOI stays stable, then as long as our capital doesn't need to get out when the recession is upon us, and we can go beyond that, say seven to 10 year holds is what we're organizing around now, then we think we have a defensive strategy that's still able to do real estate development. No, that's good. I appreciate you elaborating on that. And and even the difference in the types of tenants there you were talking about, that's some pretty good information. But you alluded to like the downturn numerous times. And I like to ask most guests that are in your position, you know, how are you preparing for the, another downturn? What does that look like when right. you're, especially in the development model? Because that's not something, unfortunately, we get to talk about too often on the show. But, you know, I'd love to hear as far as a new development, you know, how are you preparing for a downturn? What is that? How does that change what you're looking at? Or does it, you know, when you're underwriting, you're looking at land and things like that? Absolutely. Yeah, it's a great question. So our preparation is predominantly revising the, the financial structure of our how we raise equity. So typically, when the market is rising and in good shape, and we're looking for recession, maybe two to four years out, we would complete a project, lease it up, and sell it, right? So build it, rent it, sell it. That's the merchant build model is what I call that. How we change now is that we're anticipating a recession somewhere between 18 to 36 months out, if you look at the various data points. We don't know that for sure, but we're on the longest expansion that we've had in recent history. So we just know to be careful and anticipate. So what that has us do is raise equity that is on a 7 to 10-year hold with the idea that we would ride through the recession with our investors, with us and them being together, having a defensible, stable tenant base, right? Given these working families who want to stay close to their job locations and their families, that as long as the income stays stable and we don't have to have a capital event during the recession, meaning investor wants to get out, we got to sell the property and then we're at a loss position because you know a sale is forced. We want to avoid any sort of forced events because we're in the recession. And so as long as we underwrite our permanent debt appropriately, so we'd be defensive there, meaning assume cushion in the underwriting of the perm loan, underwrite our, our rents and OI and occupancies a little bit more carefully and raise this long-term equity. We can't 
of course, guarantee that that will be perfectly bulletproof in a downturn, but compared to most other new development departments, I'm speaking to specifically, you know, if you're in the millennial market and you have major job losses in a local market that would hit, say, the technology sector, you could anticipate that a lot of those folks who are your profile would leave. They would go home, they'd get roommates, they'd leave town to go get another job. And nothing wrong with that. Those are all perfectly appropriate for their life stage or life, you know, part of their life cycle. We just say we prefer to be in a different demographic that's more defensible. So hopefully that answers the question. We hope that you have enjoyed the highlight show today. You can always listen to the full episodes that were featured today by clicking the links in the show notes page in the, in the description box. Let us know in the comments what you thought of this episode, or you can go to lifebridgecapital.com forward slash podcast and click the feedback button. Let us know how we can add more value to you. Thank you and talk to you tomorrow. Thank you for listening to the Real Estate Syndication Show brought to you by LifeBridge Capital. LifeBridge Capital works with investors nationwide to invest in real estate, while also donating 50% of its profits to assist parents who are committing to adoption. LifeBridge Capital, making a difference, one investor and one child at a time. Connect online at www.lifebridgecapital.com for free material and videos to further your success.